You just think we just, you know, whatever happens, we just shit another player. I and everything's going to be perfect. All of our fans think that. You all think that. That's what you write about. Unacceptable in all areas. Unacceptable coaching, unacceptable playing, unacceptable effort, not what we're about. You don't want to be here. There's a specific reason. Not really, you know, I think we did a poor job recruiting. If guys are coming in and immediately walking out the door because it was something different than what they thought it would be. We lied to them during recruiting or we sold them on a dream that wasn't true. Like I said, coach our kids to, to do the right thing. And uh, you know, play with poise, play with confidence, play with dignity, play with class. At the same time, we're not going to take anyone's shit either. As we want to be a big, fast, dominating, aggressive, relentless football team that nobody in the SEC wants to play. Now, that's all, sir. It's second in the West, baby. Yes, sir. <laughs> hey, hey, I don't like getting it. It's the only time we're ever getting excited about second. From now on, it's first, okay? No, I want to do is fucking eat. I want you to eat. I want you to eat. I want you to want this shit. Do you want it? Do you want it? Show me. Bunch of this did it again. Welcome in to the latest episode of That SEC Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Bratton. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And I'm joined, as always, by my cousin Shane, who goes by Big Orange Vols on Twitter. What are you up to, you big Tennessee homer? <laughs> hey buddy how are you doing good Shane but I got a little bit of bad news I don't know if you've heard this but we've got some company coming on the podcast front Shane because old Urban Lion Meyer starting up a podcast have you heard this <laughs> uh I did catch wind of this yes him and uh who's his co-host Zach Smith <laughs> <laughs> Zach's already got a podcast but this one Shane believe it or not Urban Meyer's brand new podcast. It's on leadership, culture, and behavior. Holy shit. What is he going to start? Like, what not to do? <laughs> <laughs> but he's not the only one, Shane. OJ Simpson's got a podcast on marriage counseling. Are you, are you telling the truth? No, that's, uh, that's bullshit, but it's about oh. as believable as Urban Meyer's <laughs> podcast on leadership, culture, and behavior, isn't it? Yeah, it's like me having one uh, on weight loss in uh, the paleo diet, you know? <laughs> <laughs> oh, best of luck to you, Urban, because, uh, you know, the rumor's out there. He's going to be coaching USC this time next year, so I don't think this is going to be a podcast we're going to have to compete very long with. Yeah, Mike, he's going to be in the Pac-12 here in the next year, I think. Well, speaking of the Pac-12 shade, before we go around the league, one other note that I thought Tennessee fans in particular would appreciate, but old Dan Wolken, you know, he's being woke on Twitter like he always (laughs) is, and he was making fun of uh, Memphis Grizzlies first-round pick Ja Morant, where apparently he was on TV eating a chili cheese fries and a corn dog or something and Woken mentioned uh, you know the Grizzlies must not have a nutrition staff or something and our <laughs> our favorite Mike Leach Shane Washington State coach he saw it he said lighten up big gulp Dan <laughs> when this came out I had to screenshot it since half of Tennessee is blocked by Dan <laughs> <laughs> I had to put it up there because everybody kept saying what, wait, what happened? Who is this? <laughs> Man, I just, uh, I don't know if I'd ever want to be a, at a party with this guy. I just, I couldn't imagine how entertaining it would be. No, no. he His his threads, everything he puts out to dumpster fire, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't even follow him, but it keeps popping up because every time he does, it's like a game to see who can get blocked by him next, you know? 
Well, shit, let's go around the league before we get blocked by someone else. But what we're going to say next, huh? Okay, okay let's do it. Now let's go now around let's the go league. Around the We hadn't decided how we're going to play the guys, so and I wouldn't tell you if I did. So, you know, I don't mind you asking a question, but I don't need to answer it. No, I mean, I'll be whistling Rocky Top by the end of the week. All our players, I mean, it's just like, right? I mean, you just hear it over and over, and, you know, like every other, every third song, it'll roll through within the crowd noise that we play at practice, so you just uh, you get used to it. It's a catchy tune, right? I mean, this game's gonna be a street fight. This game's gonna be a street fight. I mean, some of you guys don't know who Kimbo Slice is. Hopefully you do. Um, and you go back to it, man, this isn't a sanctioned fight. This is a street fight. I mean, this is the SEC. So, man, it's time. It's time to put on the hard hat, launch bail, let's get to work. All right, Shane, starting off in Gainesville, we got a bit of news here from Florida. Bit of unfortunate news because the offseason from hell kind of is continuing here for Dan Mullen's crew where, you know, they had so much momentum the end of last season. They finished really solid in recruiting, but it doesn't really matter who you sign, Shane. It's more about who you get enrolled. And another guy has come off the recruiting class here for the Gators. And this time it's four-star offensive lineman Devaney Hammond, who this is one of the Lakeland trio that they got I believe that would have been on National Signing Day. It was either National Signing Day or Early Signing Period. I can't. It was one or the other. But unfortunate news there, Shane. Obviously, the Gators' biggest question mark is offensive line, and now a fourth member of this 2019 recruiting class for the Gators is not going to be on campus this fall. Yeah, and this was their highest-ranked offensive lineman coming in. So this is a uh, this is yet another blow, and you know. You know, when the first few transfers or decommitments came out, you know, we kind of laughed it off and, and said, this is, you know, it's okay. This happens, you know. But I'll tell you what, man, this this becoming a trend down there, and, and it's, not, it's, not looking, uh, it's not looking too good down there in Gainesville. It's just a bad image, you know. Yeah, and I don't really think this loss, or even if you want to say the Chris Steele, I know he was a borderline five-star and – uh, you know, the quarterback Jones, that, that those are the other guys that they've lost. And they did lose a really talented four-star linebacker, Dewan Black, also uh, failed to qualify. And they're waiting on three more guys to qualify. So, I mean, there's potential of losing three more. But none of these guys are really we're going to be counted on as star players next season by any means. So this may not really affect the team in 2019, Shane, but... 2020 2021 these losses are going to mount unless they get some blue chip guys to come in there and replace them and that i think if i'm a florida fan that's kind of where my concern would be right now do you think i mean just given the current temperature the landscape that they have down there do you think it's hurting future recruiting i mean they got some of these kids on right now do you think parents are are saying, you know what, maybe maybe I don't want my, my son to go here, or, uh, or maybe a kid's afraid to commit just because of the instability right now. Do you think that's playing a factor, or do you think it's just way too early to, to overreact? I think right now it is playing a factor, because remember when all that Chris Steele situation came out, they lost, I, I want to say, two or three recruits 
from I think it was the 2021 class or maybe even the 2020 class. So guys were kind of jumping ship at that time. But again, it's, it's the middle of the summer and it's a long way from when these guys can sign anyway. So if they come out again and have another, you know, 9, 10, 11 win season, that's going to fix everything. But that's tough to do if you don't have depth and it's going to be hard to keep that going uh, if they keep having these defections. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I'm, I don't want to overreact, but it's it's just it just seems like it's every week something down there. I mean, it's making hits, and you know, I saw that picture of their new locker room, mm-hmm. and you see that they were <laughs> pumping it up, and it was empty, and they're like, "Damn, they have all transferred out," you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of transferring out, that's also another note here for the Gators because junior defensive back Brian Edwards announced on Monday. He was leaving the team via transfer. He's got two years left to play. And, again, this is not a key player. Uh, I mean, he was going to be a backup this season if he even saw the field on defense. But, you know, he had seen action in 19 games, mostly on special teams. And, you know, right before fall camp is not a good time to lose, you know, some backups where I said it on Twitter and (laughs) – Gator fans couldn't believe I, I said this, but, uh, you know, I think the Gators have the best starting defensive backs in the SEC this year, but they just don't have much behind them. So Edwards losing him, not a huge blow to the team next season unless someone goes down and then you're going to start be, you know, questioning the depth of the Gators. And, and that's what really killed them against Georgia and Missouri uh, last season. Yeah, I mean, I would be concerned. The depth always gets you, especially on the on the back end. Do you have Florida's schedule up? I'm just curious, like the last six games, what, what they got on their schedule. Yeah, so the last six games for Florida, I mean, that's pretty tough. It's not, not easy. Uh, you get Auburn at home. That's I don't think that's – you may think that's a gimme. I, I'm not sold on that. Uh, at LSU, at South Carolina, they get the Georgia game in Jacksonville. Vanderbilt at home, at Missouri, and then the last game of the season, Florida State at home. Golly, Mike, you know, because I think a couple of those swing games are going to be toward the tail end here, and this is when the depth is going to show. When you start having injuries and, you know, you can't cycle the boys out like you want to, uh, you saw it last year with Tennessee down the stretch. You know, they just ran out of gas and, they just didn't have anybody to fill in, and, and that's what really caught up to them. So I'm not counting out. I mean, I think they got a great first-team offense, first-team defense, but depth is going to be an issue. You saw it with Tennessee last year, mm-hmm. you know, down toward the tail end of the of the schedule. They just, they just couldn't keep up with them anymore, and we didn't have anybody to plug and play. So uh, a lot of people – you know, they look at that that roster and they look at first team offense, first team defense, and re- returning starters. And you know, they they say, "Well, we got all these guys back. We should be even better." Well, if you don't have anybody behind them to come in and fill in for an injury or uh, just a player to get wind or something like that, it's going to it's going to catch up to you. And they've got so many 50-50 games, like I said, here at the tail end. Uh, I'm a little worried. You know, I. You know, I know it's still early. We still got a lot of a lot of football left, but uh, I am a little worried about the Florida Gators right now. Yeah, and Edwards entering the NCAA transfer portal, Shane. That he is the ninth player from Florida to enter that portal since the end of last season. But uh, you know, that's that's somewhat alarming. But it should be now, no- was, 
and none of what? these guys are, are key players necessarily. Maybe a Chris Steele you would consider, but a lot of these guys are essentially, you know, not Dan Mullins guys that he that he signed. These are McIlwain guys. Right. Now, was Edwards the kid that got in trouble for allegedly uh, abusing his girlfriend? Yeah, so that that happened this offseason, and those charges were dropped. So he's not facing any charges, but, again, okay. I don't know the specifics, but this, this could be a situation where maybe he's just – you know, wanting a fresh start somewhere else and, and getting away from a bad situation there domestically, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. All right, Shane, moving on to, you know, this is a little bit uh, around the league here, but ESPN has updated their football power index rankings, and I'm not really sure what has changed here, but I guess this is the, the final change they plan on making heading into the 2019 college football season, and uh, I wanted to throw this stat out. You, Shane, I thought this was pretty interesting, but according to ESPN's FPI, and for anyone that, that doesn't follow it, what essentially this is, is uh, an in-house ESPN analytics where they essentially simulate, uh, I think they simulate every single game 10,000 times, and they factor in returning production, uh, they heavily factor in the quarterback, if he's returning and if he's not, and where the game is played. Uh, and they come out with percentages for every single game, essentially. And the SEC, Shane, favored in every single non-conference game for the entire season, with the exception of two. And they're both against Clemson, believe it or not. Texas A&M's game at Clemson and Clemson's away game at South Carolina. Those are the only two non-conference games that the SEC is projected to lose, according to ESPN FBI, if you take that for what it's worth. But I still thought that was a pretty interesting stat. What do you say? Hell yeah. That's why we got the best damn conference, Mike. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and I think Clemson may lose one of those games. I'm calling it now. Wow. Which, which one of them would you favor? Oh, man. I don't know, man. There's just something about South Carolina that's sneaky. I, I just think that they played them so tough last year, mm -hmm. and uh, they may sleep on them. And this offense has enough weapons to, I mean, to to hang with Clemson. Now, I, I think Clemson's got a better defense, but you know, if they come in overlooking South Carolina, because it's going to be at South Carolina, ain't it? Yeah, in Columbia. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a factor. Um, I wish they were serving alcohol. It'd be even better, but you know, whatever <laughs> that's, that's if I had to pick one of the two right now, because I think they're going to, I think they know what they're getting with Texas A&M. They had a, a hard fought game last year. Uh, they know Fisher's offense better than anybody probably. And, uh, I think they match up better. So if I'm going to pick an upset there, yeah, I'm going to lean towards South Carolina. Well, you teased it there, so let's just jump to that right away, Shane. But South Carolina did announce on Tuesday, uh, you know, there was a statement by uh, Ray Tanner, the AD down there, but South Carolina will not sell alcohol in Williams-Brice Stadium to the general seating. They announced that on Tuesday, but I don't know, Shane. I think this is, not only is this a joke, but it also should be noted that they, they're still going to sell alcohol to, like, the premium seatings and, you know, in the box, so... Once again, it, it, it's the haves getting the alcohol, the have-nots, uh, not allowed to. It, it, it's, it's ridiculous to me because we all know it goes on anyway. It's not like they're going to be stopping the, the fans from drinking. You might as well uh, you know, let them have a beer or a glass of wine if they want inside the stadium. I, I just I don't know. I just don't support these moves. 
Well, my favorite tweet of the day came from uh, one of our listeners, Brady Bresh, and he said, uh, simple cock block. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and they really are. I just, it, it blows my mind. And, you know, they got those new facilities. Uh, you know, it seems like this is more revenue for them to, to pay off that and, mm-hmm. you know, pay these coaches. But I just, I don't understand it. So, yeah, they may be the last one to come around, but uh, eventually, eventually they'll all be in. Well, Shane, jumping back into this ESPN FBI stuff, I did want to make these few notes on that stat. So Ole Miss at Memphis. I think uh, we both kind of lean toward Memphis in that one, but the FPI has Ole Miss with a 51.4% chance of winning that game. And I was really surprised by this one, but Vanderbilt at Purdue week two. Vanderbilt favored by 51.5% in the FPI. And it must be noted that Auburn and Oregon and Florida, Miami, the two season openers, they did not make an official prediction. I'm not sure why that is. I think because... Auburn, we don't know who's starting at quarterback. And Miami, we don't know who's starting at quarterback. And I think that factors into the FPI. So I uh, did want to note those. But uh, I don't know. Ole Miss favorite Still. over Memphis. is that that's a, that's a big surprise to me. That one is because I thought Memphis was supposed to be favored in all their games this year. So apparently uh, they've been listening to the podcast and realizing that uh, Shane's a little higher on Ole Miss than I think they're going to be better than what a lot of people think. You know, the offense is going to look totally different, but uh, they've got talent down there, and uh, I just like the way they're the way they're going. All right, Shane. Final thing on this ESPN FPI. You hear that noise in the background? What's that? What is that, Shane? It's crickets. It's the Tennessee hype train coming for you, Shane. <laughs> So according to ESPN's FPI, I thought this was the you know the biggest stunner of all these updates. But Tennessee favored to win nine of their twelve regular season games. Shane, what was your initial reaction when you saw this? I tweeted it out. I got you know non-SEC or excuse me non-Tennessee fans pissed off at me. Uh, we got all the rivals. You know they're just laughing and calling me a homer. I mean these are not my stats. This is from ESPN FPI, but. Uh, Wanted to hear your thoughts on on your Vols potentially winning nine regular season games. I would freaking love it, Mike. I mean, don't get me wrong, nine. I, I'd be happy with eight, seven, even. Uh, I'm not going just making a damn bowl game, Mike. You know, <laughs> so you're going to come out and tell me that that Tennessee's favored in nine games. Yeah, I'm I'm drinking that Kool Aid, and and the only the only downside is the last time we had high expectations was <laughs> what 2016 you know right and and it did not and it did not work out well so i, I kind of like flying under the radar and then all of a sudden being good but you know what if if they're going to go ahead and recognize the talent we have and the coaching staff uh and they see nine wins then i'm on board mike i'm on board yeah, if I'm not mistaken, heading into that 2016 season, I think ESPN's FPI had Tennessee, they either had them favored in every single game or the Alabama game was the only one they were not favored in. And we all know that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they had us winning the East, man. Yeah. You know? And and Tennessee lost to Vanderbilt that year. So, so, take, so take all this for what it's worth, you know? Pump the brakes. 2016 started out great. It just didn't end well. (laughs) (laughs) 
So I'll tell you what, if you're a fan of football, college football, especially ball football, 2016 was a ride and, and all the way to the end of Texas A&M, it was a, it was a fantastic ride, emotional ride. I think it took years off my life and, uh, uh, I, I, I wouldn't change it cause it got us to where we're at now, but, uh, yeah, I just want to, I don't know, high expectations create more problems. So I just, I, nine wins again, I'm for it. I'm, I'm all for it. Well, Shane, let me, uh, you know, I'm not ready to pump the brakes on this hype train just yet. I do have, you know, these couple of stats I want to throw at you. I know you're not a numbers guy, so just stick with me here, but there's two players and I'm not going to name them right off the bat. And I'm going to tell you which one you think is a better quarterback based on these numbers. All right, Shane? So the first guy completed 59% of his passes. He averaged 7.8 yards per pass. He had a touchdown-to-interception ratio of 3.4 to 1. So 3.4 touchdowns for every every interception. Mm-hmm. And he completed 35% of his third downs. You got all that? Got it. Second guy. 62% completion percentage. Ooh, I'm liking this guy already. <laughs> Identical p- yards per pass, 7.8, so that's the same. But 4 to 1 touchdown to interception ratio, so 4 touchdowns for every interception. And mm-hmm. a 41% conversions on third down. So basically every number better for that second player, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I'm taking door number 2. Well, that would be Jarrett Garantano, Shane. And the first guy on that list is none other than Oregon quarterback Justin Herbert, who a lot of people are saying going to be the number one pick in the NFL next year. Um, I'm, I'm not buying him being that good, but what's you know your reaction to seeing that Garantano has got better numbers than an Oregon quarterback who's not even facing as good defenses? That's I think you hit the nail right there, man, is the fact that he has better numbers and he's played better defenses. So uh, I'm excited about that. And – you know, I think I think a lot of people have been sleeping on Garantano, and there's, you know, there's mixed emotions. You know, you get on that nasty ball Twitter, and you know, people are people are torn. You know, everybody wants something else, and uh, I just I don't think Garantano's been given the opportunity, and and if they get the offensive line right and give him time, yeah, I think I think he could surprise a few people this year. All right, Shane. Well, that's all the good news we have for Tennessee. We got a little bit of bad news here. Let's jump oh, down yeah. to Starkville. <laughs> all right, Shane. So if you missed this, this was kind of a big uh, recruiting revelation because Mississippi State, Shane, picked up a commitment from elite junior college prospect Jordan Davis, who had been committed to Tennessee. He made the flip to Mississippi State. Uh, this guy is the number one junior college defensive end prospect in the nation. Uh, this is a guy that was really coveted coming out of high school. He signed with Alabama. I did not obviously make it into Alabama. I had to go to junior college, but soon after going to junior college, commit to Jeremy Pruitt's Tennessee team. And now he's going to Mississippi State apparently to play for Bob Shoup. So, uh, you know, I think this is a pretty big pickup for Mississippi State. I think this is uh, this may be their highest ranked commit uh, for the 2020 class at this at this time. Well, good for them, Mike, you know. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> this guy's committed to Alabama, Tennessee, now Mississippi State. I mean, it's still time. He's still got, what, 11 more schools to choose from. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I, I, be careful before he puts that hat on. But I will say the fact of the matter is Nick Saban wanted him first. Right. And, you know, Nick Saban is picky. 
And the fact that he wanted him, got him committed, got the letter, that says a lot about this guy. So I've always been a fan. I really wished he would have been wearing orange and white next year, but now I have to make fun of him. So uh, I think the Bulldogs got a good one here. Yeah, and Mississippi State's always had a really strong track record of getting in these highly regarded junior college prospects and, and making the most of them. And yet again, Shane, Joe Moorhead, biggest question mark when he was hired in Starkville, how will this guy recruit? Can he recruit Southern athletes? Well, I mean, he just continues to show that he's killing it. I, I believe Mississippi State's got a top 15 class at the moment. So uh, coming off an 8-5 and five season, and he's only been there one year, Joe Moorhead's doing a hell of a job on the recruiting trail. Yeah, yeah, I'm good for him. I, I, I was worried about that down there. And and he just seems like like steady Eddie, you know. It's not like he's just just blowing the recruiting boards up, but he's it just seems like he's constantly improving. So I, I think with a little more time down there, I think they got a good – I think they got a good ball coach. All right, Shane, sticking in the SEC West, let's jump to Fayetteville. Woo pig! Where – you know, not too exciting for a podcast, but the Razorbacks have revealed the jerseys they're going to wear for the 2019 season, Shane, and they're a huge hit. And if you've not seen these, we're going to share these on the Reddit page. They're all over Twitter if you haven't seen them. But uh, it's basically they're just going back to what they were wearing during the Darren McFadden era, Shane. So they're getting rid of, you know, they had like weird stripes and arches on their, on their jerseys and all this <laughs> stuff. And it's just a very clean old school Arkansas look. And, uh, I think they knocked it out of the park with this one. Dude, I've never seen the fans more excited than, you know, (laughs) Arkansas was excited when they started wearing sweatpants down there, you know? (laughs) (laughs) And so now they've earned their jerseys. And, and like you said, last year, Arkansas, it kind of reminded me of the old NCAA. And you remember when you could make your own team mm-hmm. and you spent all your time doing the jerseys and you kind of look like the Broncos with the stripe, you know, they had the stripe going down the leg and the shoulders and mm-hmm. it just, it, it had that kind of vibe. And, uh, so I love, I love going back to traditional. I'm a traditionalist and, uh, especially when it comes to uniforms and, uh, uh, I, I think it's just a good, it's a good look for Arkansas. Somebody tweeted out uh, the last time they wore this uniform, they beat the first-ranked LSU. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, sometimes uniforms, you know, I, I don't know if it's going to help production on the field, but it gets the kids pumped up and, you know, it gets your recruits pumped up and stuff. And, you know, and I think it's important for Morris because he's changing the culture down there. So they want to get back to, you know, being relevant in the West. And this is – this is a step in their eyes, so I, I'm all for it. Yeah, and I'm happy you said that, Shane, because you know Chad Moore's trying to bring in a fast tempo, high flying offense, and uh, you know he, he's bringing in a lot of high school tendencies and all this, but and it's it's a lot of flash. But I think this move helps uh, you know more the old school Razorback fan who the traditionalist like yourself. Uh, I, I just think everyone's going to be on board with this. So uh, just a great move here for the Razorbacks. Yeah, for sure. And final update here around the SEC West, Shane. Like a war damn eagle. Uh, Auburn quarterback, or former Auburn quarterback, I should say now, Malik Willis, who some people thought he was going to start this year. But if you were listening to us all, all offseason, you knew it, well, he wasn't going to be the guy. 
Well, he's going to be playing for old Hugh Freeze now at Liberty, Shane. So uh, <laughs> Hugh Freeze obviously almost became the offensive coordinator there at Auburn. I think that was that was a move that Gus Malzahn was interested in making. So Hugh Freeze nearly coached Malik Willis at Auburn. Now he's going to coach him at Liberty. Uh, I just think that's kind of <laughs> kind of ironic there, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Must have had a hell of a recruiting visit, Mike. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it kind of blows my mind. Uh, here you got a guy that was, you know, I don't know if he was even in contention for for being the quarterback down there, but the fact that he goes to Liberty, you know, it just seems like there would have been other opportunities. So um, I know he's trying to get immediate eligibility, and I don't know if that's going to work out these days, but. Uh, it just kind of surprises me that Liberty's the place that he chose, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, I got a feeling Liberty's going to be pulling off some recruiting upsets as long as Hughes there. Yeah, well, hell, even Vanderbilt, you know? Somebody, it just seems like there would have been a spot in the SEC mm-hmm. or another Power 5 conference, you know, that he could have just stepped in and, and, and been a contender. But to, to go all the way to Liberty, so... And, and and they're even talking about he's in a competition up there. So I don't know. We'll see. We'll see how it goes. All right, Shane. So we got a mailbag question here. Uh, let's play that music and then we'll get to it. Let's do it. Listen up. It's time for mail call. Don't have to answer that question. I'll answer the question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. My turn. What do you got? Okay, here we go. What color is a fire truck? Oh, oh God, I always get these. Um, okay, uh, all right, fire truck. Fire truck, fire truck, fire truck. What color are those red fire trucks? All right, this one comes from our boy, Joshua Barnhart. It says, I have a question for the pod. Since we know Bama fans are irrational, how long do you think it takes before we hear the Bama kept the wrong quarterback takes Say Jalen is tearing it up at Oklahoma, or Tua gets hurt or struggles against A and M. I bet week seven. That's a good question. What do you think, Mike? Well, I would be on board with that, Shane, but I just don't see a ton of challengers on Alabama's schedule that's going to handle them during the regular season. This is just a, another oddity on the schedule where you know you got LSU's got to play. Well, theirs is not too bad. They got Vanderbilt, but they also obviously got Florida. Uh, then you got Texas A&M's playing Georgia and South Carolina. Uh, Auburn has got it a lot tougher. They got to play Florida and Georgia. So it's, it's, it's basically like all the West teams that could potentially threaten Alabama are playing some tough SEC East contenders, whereas Alabama, I mean, they're getting Tennessee, South Carolina – I don't know. I, I Basically, I'm just trying to say I think Alabama could roll through their schedule but still maybe not be as as, as elite as they should be. So I don't know if that's going to play a factor. But one thing that, we're, that he missed there in his question, I think Alabama could truly miss, and we've heard this all offseason from Saban. We've even, we've even started to hear it from Tua. Alabama, I really think this, is going to miss leadership that Jalen Hurts brought to that program. And, I mean, this guy was a leader from the day he stepped onto that field all those years ago, and he was a steadying presence. Um, 
I mean, he even was a leader when Tua took over. And I, I think that's something that you can't quantify. And I just don't know that anyone, not even Tua or anyone on that roster, can step up and be that, that much of a leader for the Crimson Tide next season. Yeah, I'm with you, man. And if Tua makes this more about him than the University of Alabama, that's the opposite of Jalen. You know, Jalen put the team first. And uh, that's why he didn't transfer out last year in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And, you know, th- there's a lot of Alabama fans out there that like Jalen, that wish he would have stuck around there. I'm sure there's a handful that still wish he was a quarterback, even though I think that's crazy talk. I think Tua is a better quarterback. But here we got Tua limping in to the season already with an injury. So my concern is not so much the schedule. Something that Josh talked about was the injury. Um, what happens Four weeks in, we find out there's, uh, you know, Tua's dealing with something, and then he's out. And now we're relying on unproven talent backing him up. So I just think that Jalen, Jalen's tough. Oklahoma's schedule is not tough. I think we're going to see more of not that he made that they made the wrong decision, but that they just wish he was still there. And uh, because he he was the ultimate backup you know not not just a backup he was a guy you saw that could come in and be a change of pace too so uh and the offense didn't miss a beat so that i do think that we're going to have some concerns this year it's just the 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 injuries is what i'm worried about so um we'll just see how how camp goes and and you know i may be overreacting to this injury news but you kind of you can't you know you can't ignore it because it's been a it's been a thorn in Alabama's side for the last few years now. Yeah, if Tua goes down, I, I revised my statement. Alabama will definitely not go undefeated if mm-hmm. without Tua in the lineup. I don't. I don't think they would crumble, but uh, I think people, you know, obviously Tua didn't have a, a great national championship game, and he had a really bad SEC championship. And I think those two games are sticking in everyone's minds. But let's not forget. I mean, he had like 40 touchdowns and three interceptions leading up to mm-hmm. that. You know what I mean? So he, he's an elite, yeah. elite player. They, if As long as he's on the field, they're not going to miss Jalen Hurts. But they, I, I stick to it. They're going to miss his leadership. Uh, I, I just don't think that's something that you can quantify. And I just don't know if they make many like Jalen Hurts. We're already hearing that at Oklahoma. I mean, that guy's already – I think he's the third favorite to win the Heisman. I just, <laughs> I, I've never seen that in my life where, where I – essentially the backup goes and, and now he's one of the favorites to, to win the, the ultimate individual trophy. Oh, it'd be great, man. I'd love to see him in the playoffs against each other. <laughs> All right, Shane, one thing I did want to note here. So we've got a couple win total updates. Uh, th- these numbers come via Caesars palace out of in Las Vegas. Now on a previous podcast, I, I think it was two episodes ago. We, Touched on the over-under numbers for the SEC teams because it was the first time all offseason that all 14 schools had over-under numbers, Shane. And it's almost like Caesars Palace listened to our show here because basically every single team that we were confident on an, on a line, they moved them all, Shane, starting with Missouri. That was our favorite one. We said, bet that six and a half while you can. That's already jumped up to eight, Shane, so... I mean, that that's the biggest mover on the board. I mean, that, that was a dead giveaway. I have no idea what they were doing at six and a half. I hope the listeners out there 
uh, took advantage of that because you're talking a swing of one and a half games. I mean, that's huge if you're gambling on the over-unders. And Mike, uh huh. I've got 500 on that one, so I'm already <laughs> in. So that's just a little more cushion, a little that secured my bet. Yeah, I mean they're they're going to have that covered by November six and a half. Yeah. So I have no idea what they were thinking with that one. That was that was a big mess up there by, uh, you know, the odds makers there. But glad you got value on it. I know I did. I I threw money on it as soon as I saw that. And then we got a couple. All the rest moved down, Shane, and we we hit on all these teams. Mississippi State down a game. Uh, that debuted at eight and a half. That's already down to seven and a half. So that's that was one we we really hammered home to on the podcast. Yeah, Arkansas. That six number that was that was too rich for us. That's down to five and a half as well. South Carolina that debuted at six. That's down to five and a half. I think a lot of that has to do with the schedule more than uh, Will Muschamp's team. I don't I don't think anyone's thinking that the Gamecocks are are you know a team that's going to completely miss a bowl. But when you factor in that schedule, it certainly, uh, you know, it's, it's a risk to bet that over, but now at five and a half, I kind of like that one. I, I like the over now. I mm-hmm. really do. I, I think they get a bowl game at least, you know, I think I honestly, I think South Carolina has a big year, so they're going to upset a few people. So I may put a little bit on that one. And then last, Shane, this is one. This was another one of my favorites here. Ole Miss opened at five, and that's already down to four and a half. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure I'd bet the under now because I could. I don't know. I mean, four games is so low. They're, they're non-conference. If they beat Memphis, they should win four games. But otherwise, uh, I'm not seeing it from the Rebels. But uh, that's one we kind of we did not like at five, and that's down as well. So. Hoping the listeners, if you, you listen to our uh, podcast a couple weeks ago, you got some value uh, before the season came. I like it, Mike. I like it. I can't believe that Missouri one. Oh, that was just like they were giving money away. And Vegas doesn't do that. Well, Shane, I don't know if you you heard this, but breaking news here. Kelly Bryant transferred to Tennessee. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. That was that was the only way that one made would have made sense, you know. Uh, Pruitt's still calling them every night. You know it. <laughs> All right, Shane. Let's uh, end the podcast here on a obviously a sad note here, but we wanted to honor these two SEC legends, starting with Mr. Two Bits, Shane, Florida Gator legend, who started the tradition down there in Gainesville and. Of course, his name is George Edmondson, and um, this is a guy, Shane, where, you know, every time we lose someone like this, it's sad on on a number of levels. Obviously, you know, he's no longer around, but I think um, guys like Mr. Two-Bits is what makes college football so special, in my opinion. You just... You just don't have guys like this in the NFL, and that's not to say the NFL, you know, I got nothing against it or anything, but this is why I like college football so much. You got a guy here who, uh, you know, he's just passionate fan and wanted the Gator fans to support their team, and from what I understand, uh, you know, he helped scholarships for for several players, not players, but students there in Gainesville, and uh, we got a little, this is a video tribute here from the Florida Gators uh, they released after um, Mr. Two Bits recently passed. In 1949, a friend of mine here had uh, some extra tickets, and he said, George, would you like to go to Gainesville to a football game? I said, sure, Armin, I'll go with you. 
The crowd then was only 50 some thousand, but the team was terrible. They were just awful, getting beat by everybody. We were the whipping dogs of the SEC. At the first of the game, when the announcer said, here come the Gators, and they'd run out on the field and everybody would boo. And they'd announce the coach and everybody would boo. And I said, good gracious alive. What's everybody booing about? Well, they were down on the team. They were there, but down on the team. I said, shoot, I've never booed in my life and I'm not gonna start now. They're just kids out there playing. Let's cheer for them. I said, what do you mean cheer for them? I said, yeah, let's give them a let's cheer. Every time they do something wrong, we'll stand up and do a cheer. I said, what cheer? I said, well, everybody knows two bits, four bits from high school. Let's do that. So lo and behold, they would fumble. And I'd say, okay, gang, I get five or six people sitting around me, you know, on the count of three, go two bits, four bits, six bits, a dollar, all for the Gators, stand up and holler. We'd all stand up, everybody look around, they all thought we were drunk. <laughs> it, was, it was really remarkable. And it kept going and it kept building and pyramiding until it built to what it is today. When you get out there, in the middle of the field, and I hold my arms up to get quiet, and I get just absolute silence from 90,000 people. People want to know what I get out of doing this. I do not get free tickets, and I don't get uh, free parking, and I don't get paid, uh, simply because I wouldn't have it any other way. If I was being paid some way, then I'd be really obligated to do what I'm doing. And what I do is from the heart. All right, Shane, I, we just saw that video. We thought we had to share it. I thought that was a, that was really well done there. Yeah, and, and kind of go off what you said, too. Uh, you know, you watch games like like NBA was on, and you got all these celebrities on the sideline, and, you know, it's just – it's not the same. You know, you, you look at college football, and you got two bits here, and then you got uh, – what's his name? The uh, – Lonnie Woods, the Georgia guy that used to paint his head, mm -hmm. you know, fans like this, just diehard fans that, you know, because there's a lot of diehard fans out there, and it's just college football is just special. Uh, I've never seen anything like it, you know. It's like, kind of reminds you of high school, some of those diehard high school fans that come out to these games, and, you know, they're just there to watch their team. They're there to watch these kids, and, and uh Two bits, you know, like he said, he never got paid to do it. He did it because he loved it, and he got tired of his team getting booed. So he came out there and 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 tried to make, spin it off as to a positive, and and it worked. And you know that that's just a sad story, and I uh, he'll he will be missed. Yeah, and uh, in addition to that, Shane, unfortunately, we lost Jared Lorenzen, Kentucky legend, who. You know, everybody that saw this guy, even if you weren't a Kentucky fan, Shane, I, I can't imagine you didn't root for this guy. The hefty lefty uh, just had so much fun being, you know, basically the face of the Wildcat program there. Even after he left, 
went on to the New York Giants. He's got a Super Bowl ring. So, I mean, he lived the dream there. Uh, Kentucky's own Jared Lorenzen passed at uh, only 38 years old. I mean, that's just that, – that was a stunner. That one hit home, man. I mean, I've always – I mean, I'm a diehard Tennessee fan, but I I love Jared Lorenzen. I just – you know, he was everything I wanted to be. Yeah, I mean, you know, Mike, I was, I'm a big guy, and growing up, you know, we're we're virtually the same age. You know, here I am playing intramural football. He's up here in Kentucky slinging the rock at 300 pounds. I mean, he was my – he was my hero, you know, and, uh, growing up and when I was in college, Jared Lorenzen was in college and, you know, as a big guy, he inspired a lot of people, you know, maybe not to be quarterback, but that's just something that you always wanted to do, you know, but you were always told to be a lineman because you're big. <laughs> and then you got the hefty lefty slinging the rock out there. So, you know, I wish there were more big quarterbacks out there. And, uh, but nobody did it like him and the records he holds, uh, will be held for years. And, um, you know, he's very inspirational. I always, I even like listen to him after football, you know, I'd listen to him on podcasts and on radio stations and, you know, he's just always, he always seemed positive and, and it just really sucks because he was so young and he had so much more to give, you know, and, uh, I just, I just think that was a big loss and I hate it. I really hated to hear it for him and, uh, his family, you know? Yeah. And I think you said it best right there, Shane. I mean, he was just a, a fat guy's fantasy. You, everybody, everybody wants to be the quarterback, but if you, if you don't have the build for it, they kick your ass to line, <laughs> but, not, but he, but he was just too damn good. They, they couldn't do it. They, they had to keep him at quarterback a killer quarterback in high school i just didn't get the shot you know (laughs) (laughs) of course we didn't throw we ran the veer but if we did throw uh i I think i I think i had potential mike i could have been playing so but anyway uh i hated to hear it and like i said it's just it's a big hit for the big blue nation yeah and instead of uh you know a typical send off here music let's uh let's play a little tribute here to jared lorenzen as as we close the show all right see you guys he was born in 1981 in northern kentucky across the ohio river from cincinnati and from the very beginning jared lorenzen stood out from the crowd in high school he was both a basketball star and the state's mr football Playing quarterback at the University of Kentucky, he was remarkably prolific. And at 300 pounds, there was simply no one else like him playing the position anywhere. Look at Jared Lorenzen on his feet. You talk about nimble. His size was one of the things that helped make him a fan favorite. A kind of everyman who happened to have extraordinary skills. nicknames are <laughs> thing what are you being called oh boy hefty lefty which still i love um pillsbury throw boy round mount of touchdown mobile agile hostile and hungry you name it i i've been called it lorenzen would finish his college career fourth all time in passing yards in the sec but at the 2004 nfl draft he went unselected But Lorenzen was able to sign with the New York Giants as a free agent, and he would back up Eli Manning for three seasons. 
In Super Bowl 42, when New York fashioned one of football's most stunning upsets, Lorenzen got a ring. But he was soon out of the NFL and back home in Kentucky with his family. There was a brief return to football in 2014. Playing for the Northern Kentucky River Monsters, Lorenzen caused a viral video sensation. But he was injured in his second game, putting an end to the comeback and contributing to more weight gain. In 2017, Lorenzen started a weight loss and exercise regimen and told the world about it on Facebook. Feel good. Um, legs are obviously set a little bit wobbly, but hey, you know, we, we got to start somewhere, right? He was hoping to inspire others who struggle with obesity. Why do you want to change? I have a daughter who's 15. I've got an eight-year-old son. They're, they're, they're everything. Plus, I think a lot of it is I want to show myself I can. There is willpower in me. In the first year after dedicating himself to getting healthy, Lorenzen lost more than 80 pounds. 477. But he couldn't maintain the progress he'd made. An athlete of rare gifts, a Super Bowl champion, he will remain forever one of the football legends of the Bluegrass State. Jared Lorenzen was 38 years old.